chapter 15 and consider the heart of God for the one. The one like John or the one sheep out of the hundred, the one coin or the one sinner. There's a... uh, uh, a, a movement and uh, the sort of in our denomination right now, an emphasis on the the work of evangelism and the priority that we should be as a church and as individuals working to seek and save the lost as Jesus's own mission was, so must ours. So Jesus says to his disciples, "As I have been sent, so I send you." And we've been talking over the last several weeks about what it means to be a kind of church that takes the mission of God seriously, both as he comes to us and our community together, our life together and and service to one another, but also then to the world and how Jesus equips us and sends us on mission to seek and save the lost, to bring the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ to those who are lost. I think when we see in Luke 15, we'll read in a second, the heart of God for the one. So let's read Luke chapter 15, three parables you may be familiar with. Starting in verse 1, it says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him, that is, to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes did grumble, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So Jesus told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having 10 silver coins, if she loses one, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of my property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to the to one of the citizens of the country who sent him into his field to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one would give him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread and I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he rose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion 
and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and bring a, put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry, refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command. You never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. But it was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and alive. He was lost and is found. Let's pray. Father, we ask God that you now would move in our hearts and minds to hear your voice from these words. That you would govern our minds to receive them with gladness. And rejoice over the lost having been found. And would we come to know your heart to the seeking and the saving of the lost. Through Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. One of the things we see from these parables in this chapter is that God's heart is not simply for a group of people or for a category of people called the lost. It's for people individuals. It's for persons. It's for people like you and me, like John, like the sheep, like the son. God's concern for the salvation of one sinner is a personal concern. Seeking and rejoicing in the salvation of not just lost people, but of the one who is lost. Jesus illustrates this through these parables about the lengths that individuals will go to to seek and to find that which is lost and the joy of the heart of those who find that which has been lost. Why is the personal salvation of one sinner a matter of great joy to God? We see in verse 7 and in verse 10 and verse 32 that joy is the ethos of the kingdom of God. Joy is the ethos of the kingdom of God. See, grace creates a community that celebrates sinners saved by grace. We see rejoicing happening when the farmer, the shepherd, finds the one sheep and he gathers his community around him and celebrates the sheep that was lost has been found. And even the woman who finds the coin, a precious and important coin that she lost, though she had many others, rejoiced with her friends that the coin she had lost was found. And the son, when he was returned to the father, was given and celebrated because, as the son, his father says, was dead and now is alive and was lost and was found. Joy is the ethos of the kingdom of God. And this grace that Jesus brings to his people comes to mark the community 
that celebrates sinners saved by grace through faith. This idea of finding that which was lost through the gospel and celebrating the foundness, the newness, is a part of what it means to be a community that's been saved by grace. So salvation of one sinner to the heart of God is immensely important. And it's immensely important because it's personal to him and a matter of great joy because God is a God who rejoices in the goodness of others, celebrates and brings together a community which rejoices itself in the salvation of sinners by grace. I want to challenge us right in the very beginning over the next 30 days to think about one individual in your life that you would pray for and work to engage with the gospel that they may be found by God. This challenge in our denomination is being called, Who's Your One? But simply, we're asking you to identify, to ask God to stir in your heart someone in your life that you would rejoice in seeing come to faith and saving knowledge in Christ who right now is lost and without the hope of God in the world. Maybe they grew up in church. Maybe they have a rough understanding of the contours of the gospel, but have never fully come to saving faith. Or maybe they reject the gospel and call themselves an atheist. Or maybe they're just indifferent to the whole thing. Maybe it's a family member, a friend, a co-worker, a son or a daughter, a mother or a father. Consider who God would put in your life that you would celebrate if they were to come to saving faith. And once you've identified that person, I want you to commit to then pray for that person every day for the next 30 days. Commit to daily and regular prayer to God to work in their life and to bring them into a relationship with Him through Christ. To pray regularly for that individual. Going to equip you with daily prayer guides. And if you're a family, these weekly devotionals you can do as a family. And this week, we'll have two times, both morning and evening, where you can jump online at a Zoom call with me and another on the morning and evening to pray for specifically your individual. And then lastly, I want you to commit not only to identify and then pray for this person, but then to make a plan to engage, to spiritually engage with the person in conversation. We're not asking you to be a superstar evangelist. We're not asking you to be an apologist. We're asking you simply to engage in a spiritual conversation with this individual. To share your story of faith, much like John did, in a casual way. To invite them to church or maybe to our small group. To invite them to dinner, to your house, to a play date. To talk with you. To share with them about Christ. That's what I want to challenge you the next 30 days. To identify who God may have put in your life that you would rejoice in their coming to faith. That you would pray for regularly for their salvation. And then yet you would engage with intentionally that we would see come to faith. Now, this doesn't mean it will take place over the next 30 days, that if you do this, they'll be saved. But if we've put a concerted effort on one particular individual we believe God put in our life, then it's not too crazy to think that maybe perhaps by the end of this year we may celebrate several salvation and conversions through baptism and rejoice as we see those who are dead and not made alive or lost and found. That's the challenge that I place before you that really the gospel commends to us to take up. 
See, the mission of the church exists for the lost. That's really the heart of the parable. Is that, look, these people, the Pharisees, are seeing Jesus eat with sinners and tax collectors. And it says that they grumbled to themselves about who he was spending time with. And Jesus rebukes them by, by the means of a parable to say, this is, this is who God has sent me to save. He tells his disciples that I have been sent to seek and save not the righteous, not the healthy, but the lost. The healthy have no need of a physician, he says, but it's the sick that need the physician. The mission of Christ exists for the lost, and the mission of the church exists for the lost. What does it mean to be lost? To be lost means to live without reference to God, without reference to eternity or to the final judgment in the world. To, to be lost means to live life completely unprepared and unconcerned for what comes after. Or to be consumed with the pursuits that do not truly satisfy the pursuits of the world. It means to have no knowledge or joy in, in knowing and being known by their creator. That's what it means to be lost. And Jesus is sent by the Father into that mission field. And Jesus then sends us as the church, not just the large universal church, but this church, foundation church, exists to be sent into that mission field, the lost, so that those who live now without reference to God, eternity, or the final judgment will hear the answer of the gospel, receive it by faith, and be saved. So to be lost means simply to not know the saving knowledge of God, to not be known by God in Christ to be without hope in the world. And that by that definition, lostness is all around us. Lostness is the fabric of reality in our life. In Fredericksburg, there are more people lost and therefore going to hell than there are people going to heaven. But God has established this church to be a beacon of hope in this community, this community of darkness, so that those who may see this lighthouse may come to know the saving faith of God. So these parables not only give us a picture of God's heart for the one, but they'll actually inform us of the role each one of us must play in that mission of Christ to seek and save the lost, and that mission of the church to be sent as Jesus himself was sent. I say each one of us because it's not simply one person's job in the church to do this work, and it's not simply the church's job as a whole to do this work, But that in in as far as we exist as members of a church, it is our job individually to carry forth this work. Each one of us has a particular role in our mission field to seek and save the lost. That's why God has placed you at your job, in your community, with your neighbors, in your family, and whatever context it may be in. To be to someone what another person was to you. So they inform us of the role each one of us must play in the mission of Christ to seek and save the lost. And so an awareness of lostness and the mission of God will create three things. First, it creates an urgent need. The awareness of lostness and the mission of God creates an urgent need. Consider the sheep. Look in verses 4 and 6 of this parable. It says, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. 
See, every moment, the shepherd knows that every moment without the care of the shepherd, without the guidance of the shepherd, and without the protection of the flock, this sheep, this one sheep, is in grave danger. There's safety in numbers. And one of the reasons that sheep are able to survive the attacks of predators is because they travel in flocks. It's harder for somebody to, to take advantage of a small, weak sheep, like a wolf, when there are several strong and many numbers sheep around them. And when there's a shepherd close by to protect them. But the shepherd knows if one wanders off, as sheep are prone to do, every moment outside of the care of the shepherd and outside of the protection of the flock is one of grave danger. And Jesus says this is the predicament, the dire predicament that all sinners are in. And so Jesus justifies his spending time with sinners and tax collectors because he says the 99 are safe, the righteous one. Now, he, he'll, he'll indict those who consider themselves self-righteous plenty of times. But he says those who are sick are in need of a physician. And so he knows that it's in a grave danger. For this one sheep, these, these small groups of sheep that have wandered off outside of the protection and care of a shepherd, that if he does not come to seek them, save them, and bring them back into the fold, they will die. Consider yourself before you became a Christian. The Bible describes us as a sheep outside of the fold, without a shepherd, and without the protection of the flock. This means that at any moment, Satan and sin and our flesh were ready to devour us. And we were following his lead into hell. But Jesus, through the power and the influence of the Spirit and the individuals, those he has gifted and put in our lives, has led us back to and into the fold of God. There's an urgent need we see from the parable of the lost sheep. Because this sheep will die without the care of a shepherd. We must then likewise feel and be motivated by that same sense of urgency that the shepherd would feel when he notices one of his sheep are missing. Because who else will do it? The other sheep will not go and find the lost sheep. The sheep dogs will not go on and leave their post to protect the flock to go find the one. It is the shepherd's job to go and seek the sheep that has lost itself among the bristles or among the cliffs. So the shepherd knows the urgency that if he does not go and wrestle the thing to the ground, it says here he places it over his shoulder because sheep don't come like dogs and cats do. You can't train them. You tie them, you take them, you pick them up, and you carry them back to the fold. If the shepherd doesn't do this, nobody will. There's a sense of urgency that we must feel and sense because simply put, lost things don't make themselves found again. The things that are lost don't simply walk out from where they've been hidden and present themselves to us. Now, we may stumble upon them months later when we've forgotten to look for things. But they don't simply present themselves to say, hey, you're looking for me, here I am. Lost things do not show up on their own. They are sought out and they are found. But Paul puts it well in this letter to the Romans, how will they believe themselves to be lost? And in need of being found if they have not heard. 
And how will they hear if no one is proclaiming the good news of the saving and seeking God to them? And who's going to preach this good news if no one takes up the mission for themselves as sent by God? You see what Paul's saying to the Romans? That there are those who are perishing without God in the world. And it's not just the big C church's job to put a banner on the side of the road or signs on the highway. But it's actually the members of every church to go out to seek and save the lost sent as a mission of Christ to the world. There's a sense of urgency that we need to recognize and adopt for ourselves. That Jesus himself will say, there are sheep who are not of my fold. And so he sends the church on the mission to find these sheep and bring them into the fold of God. So an awareness of lostness and the mission of God creates an urgent need. We do not know what tomorrow will hold. We do not know when the wolf will finally devour the sheep. We do not know when the foot will slip and the sheep will perish. And so there's an urgency we must recognize. The awareness of lostness and the mission of God creates an urgent need. But secondly, it creates an urgent need that must be prioritized. It's not enough to recognize there's an urgency, but now there needs to be a priority. An urgent need that must be prioritized. Again, consider the shepherd and his prioritization of finding the one sheep by leaving the 99 safely, maybe under the care of other under-shepherds, to go and find the one sheep. Or again, the, the woman who prioritizes that lost coin. And we know that she prioritizes it because she begins to sweep and clean the house, which is not a chore any of us particularly like to do. But she puts her house in order. She sweeps and she searches diligently, it says. To find this one coin. Well, what's the motivation for the shepherd to leave his flock and go find the one or the woman to do the work to find the coin? The thing that motivates both of these individuals to do this work, to prioritize, is the value they have in that individual sheep or in that one coin. Friends, we need to recognize that value will move urgency to priority. Value, when the things we value are lost, not only will we sense the urgency to find it, but we'll move from a sense of urgency into priority. That is, we will prioritize the finding of things that are valuable to us if we lose them. Ask any married woman here, if she loses her wedding ring, the world will stop until it's found. If something is of value and it's lost, things that we would not normally consider worth doing unless an urgent need to find something valuable becomes clear, we will do. This woman cleaned her house diligently. Swept under all the tables, under the rugs, looked at every corner, crack and crevice. Maybe you've been in this position before. There was an important letter or a piece of mail that you got and without thinking, you threw it in the trash. And then maybe an hour or two later, or maybe it's next week, you're like, where was that piece of paper? I really needed it. I had the confirmation, whatever. And you look all around. It's not in your pile of papers and stacks. It's not in any of your drawers. It's not in your, uh, your, your nightstand. It's nowhere. Maybe you thought the kids hid it in the playroom. This is usually what happens to me. And then you realize, maybe, maybe I threw it away. And the trash hasn't come yet, but it's been a long week. But it's a really important piece of paper or thing. And so what do you do? 
You take the trash out and you're, you're looking through the trash and you're getting dirty and you're getting smelly and you're getting stuff on you. And it's been a couple days. So the milk carton is no longer just a milk carton, but some living culture of something. And there's gross things happening that you cleaned up or that you didn't clean up well and sort of threw. But now you're wading through it because you recognize if I don't have this piece of paper, it's going to cause me much more trouble down the road. So you're willing to go through and dig through the trash. There's situations like this that happen regularly to us. Once something of value is missing or is lost, we will put ourselves into situations we wouldn't normally consider doing before to seek and find that one thing because it's valuable, because it's important. There's a significance attached to it. But this is what the parables teach us, that this woman who has lost her coin would work diligently to find it because she values it. But Jesus is telling us that there's a value we must attach, not only just the urgency to see the lost, but a value in seeing the lost come to faith, to seeing those who are lost be found. If that's not a value of your heart as a Christian, your values are misaligned, according to what Jesus is saying. Does it make sense? If you said, yes, people need to be saved, yes, we want to share the gospel, yes, we want to send missionaries, yes, we want to plant churches, but you yourself don't value the thing, you'll never prioritize in doing it. It'll never become a thing in which you're able to shape your life around or restructure your day around it. You'll never welcome that interruption of your day when someone comes and just asks you for some advice. You've got things to do, places to be. You'll never prioritize feeding the lost or clothing the naked or loving the poor. We'll never prioritize the work of God in Christ, saving the lost, if their boundingness is not a value to us. So until we personally experience the, urgencies, uh, the urgency of others' need for the gospel, and we value the loss of those that we ourselves would desire to see come to Christ, we will not be a church, we will not be individuals that prioritizes the salvation of sinners. It's just something that won't be prioritized. It'll be something on our website, it'll be something on our literature, it'll be something that we think about and talk about, but it won't be something we actually do. Because the value's not there. So in other words... Perhaps the lack of a priority to engage your family and your friends and your neighbors with the gospel is rooted in a lack of love and a lack of sense of value and urgency for those particular people. Now, I don't want to be general across the board and say you don't share the gospel if you don't love people. But there's certainly a correlation there that we do what we believe is valuable. We believe that we, we, that we should clean ourselves and we don't want to be stinky. And so we shower, most of us, every day. We brush our teeth, we comb our hair, we put on clothes. We do many things for the sake of value. And we do many things because we love to see people come to faith. But if we do not prioritize the coming to faith, it may be because we do not value and celebrate that which God seems to be willing to celebrate. The question then for us is what logistics might we need to handle or what rooms, metaphorically, do we need to sweep in order that the gospel might be more faithfully commended to our community, to your neighbors, to your family, to your co-workers? Consider what the shepherd had to do to make sure that his 99 were safe, cared for by the under-shepherds or by the, those other in the community that could take care of the 99 so he could leave his flock and go and find the one. Or what the woman must have had to do to, to sweep and look in every, the logistics or the rooms that need to be cleared in our own lives, which right now are preventing us from prioritizing the seeking and the saving of the lost, our mission of God. 
as he asks us and commends us to join with him. What are those rooms that must be swept in your own heart, in your own life? It may be busyness is a room that needs to be swept. The clutter of things to do day in and day. You wake up with a sense of urgency, not for the, the work of God in the world, but for the deadline that you have to get there, the, the approval of your boss. Obviously, we want to provide for our families. We want to make sure that our kids are taught. We want to make sure that our work is complete. We want to make sure that our house is tidy. We want to make sure that we arrive to church on time. We want to make sure that we meet with these individuals, but we're not prioritizing, perhaps, the salvation of those that God has placed in our lives because there's too much in our lives. Maybe there's some logistics that need to change. We need to pre-prioritize our lives along the lines of this woman or the shepherd to seek and save that which God has placed in our lives to witness to. So we see that an awareness of lostness creates an urgent need and an urgent need that must be prioritized. But friends, it also creates an urgent need that must be personally prioritized. Again, we are not going to simply do this as a church. This is not foundation's mission. This is your mission as a Christian. The awareness of lostness and the mission of God means that he has created an urgent need that must be personally prioritized. Again, consider the father who runs to welcome his son. In verse 20, it says that when he saw him far off, he arose, he felt compassion, and he ran and embraced and kissed him. See, that's the sort of personal investment the father had in the return of his son. He runs to welcome his son. Because for him, the the waiting... And the watching, as a father, I can relate. If my, if my son or my daughter had left and rejected and had left, my days would be filled with watching and awaiting and a praying for their return. This father, no doubt a respected elder in the community, would have been waiting and watching. And so when he looks out one day and he thinks he sees the faint speck of someone coming towards him, he does not wait for the son to show up in the front door and apologize. He gets up and he runs with compassion to his son. In an age, in a day where the elder, a respected individual, would have never run, would have waited for those to come to him or would have patiently walked. He allows the ridicule and the shame of the culture by running to his own son, a son who he could have outright rejected for the rest of his life, who would not have been welcomed in the traditional family because of rejection and his squandering and his lifestyle. He runs out into the field to welcome his son, who he is watching and waiting and praying for. Why? Because it's his son. There's a personal significant concern for that individual. If the father had no real concern or personal investment in this individual, he would not have run, he would not have welcomed, he would not have celebrated. But because this was a personal priority to the father, he did not wait for the son to show up, but sought out the son even in the midst of the field as he came. And notice the son had this whole routine, had a whole a dialogue. He would say, he would, I'm sorry, I've sinned against you. I want to just be one of your, one of your servants. Let me just do the menial, the menial tasks in your world, and I'll be happy. And before he can even get past that, he says, I've sinned against you. And the father says, don't worry about it. Bring my robe. Bring the fattened calf. He does not allow him simply to be a servant, but welcomes him back as a son. There is a personal priority. 
in the life of this father. Friends, God's mission must be internalized not simply on a church level, but on a personal level. For us, just as it was for Christ, that his desire was to have the personal joy, the celebration of what the Father's heart would celebrate. He himself ran out to meet us, Father did, in bringing Christ to us. That it's his coming into our lives, not the waiting for ourselves to, to recognize that we need grace, not the ones who are coming to the Father in our contrition and our brokenness, but seeking us out and meeting us where we were and not allowing us to simply be, be servants in the household of God, but being sons or daughters. That's the heart of God. And he celebrates the redemption of every sinner who comes into the kingdom of God, who's welcomed into the fold of God. And we take this this love and this celebration of God's heart, and we must internalize it for ourselves. The mission that we have been sent on, just as it was for Christ, must be personal. Because when we personally involve ourselves in the mission of God, there will never be any strangers around our dinner table. There's never a them or the lost. Our neighbors and our co-workers will move from a project to a person. They'll consume our time and our homes and our prayers. They'll consume our thoughts. They'll take up moments in our lives. We don't give ourselves to projects. We give ourselves to people. They must be personally prioritized in your life if you are going to join God on the mission that the church has been sent to do. Of course, the mission of God certainly has a corporate dimension. We talk about that often. But if we relegate the work of seeking and engaging the lost to the church alone, and we neglect or leave off the personal responsibility that each one of us have to our neighbors, then we will have missed the boat entirely on what it means to be an ambassador for Christ. Indeed, we'll have missed what it means to truly love our neighbor as ourselves. Jesus didn't say you should love your neighbor as the church. You should love your neighbor as yourself. That means there's an individual, personal connection and priority for you and your neighbor that God has orchestrated so that you may be an instrument in God's church to seek and save the lost. So there is not only just an urgent need, and not just a need that must be prioritized, but one that must be personally prioritized. You must own and internalize the mission of God for yourself. It was personal to God and to Christ. Just as it was personal for the Father to run and meet His Son, it was personal to God to seek and save you. He did not lump you in with a group or category of people, but sent the gospel to the lips, the words of others, so that you may hear it and believe. That's the heart of God. So the gospel, friends, demonstrates God's heart for the one. Because as Christians, we've been the prodigal son. God has has proverbially ran out to us. The Father runs towards us. He cares for us. He welcomes us to his family. We have been the prodigal son who rejects the grace of the Father, who rejects the riches of his love, and goes off into the far country of sin and debauchery, of our own pride and lusts. And we fill ourselves, but we find ourselves to be lacking. And although the desire of our heart is to be back with the Father, we simply would rather spend our time with pigs. But God moves in such a way to say, I have what you need. And he meets us 
in love, he welcomes us into the family. As Christians, we have been the prodigal son. We had a moment in our lives where we recognized we were lost and that God is seeking us out. Well, maybe you've grown up in church, maybe you call yourself a Christian, but you've not truly ever been found. Unfortunately, in our society, that's a very probable reality for some who have spent years in church but have never truly been found by the gospel in a saving way. Well, friend, do you know if you've been found or if you're lost? We can answer this by saying, do I celebrate that which the Father celebrates? The joy of sinners coming to know Jesus Christ by faith. Do I celebrate the, the drawing in of other people, not for the sake of the numbers of churches or for what that means for my own pride or who I get to serve or hang out with, but do you celebrate that which the Father celebrates? That is the work of Jesus, his son, and the returning of sinners to the fold of God. Well, as Christians, we've been the prodigal sons, but as Christians, we may today be the elder brother. The older brother does not love the father. He does not respect or care for the father. He only cares for himself and what the father will leave him after he dies. He does not share in the father's concern that the younger son has come home. And he does not share in the father's celebration or his joy when the son had returned. The elder brother does not care for the father or for the younger brother. But as Christians, we can play the role of this older brother. That's what the Pharisees were. This is why Jesus speaks this, this parable to them. He says, you are like the elder brother. What I'm doing and seeking and saving the lost, as I'm, as I'm trying to bring in those which are, which are broken and hungry and, and unfed, who just desire to be a servant in the household of God, but will be made sons, I'm seeking to bring them into the fold, and you are failing and neglecting to celebrate that which God is doing. While he expresses a love for the older brother, there's a rebuke there that must be heard. Not only by the Pharisees, but by us today. If we do not share in the concern of the Father or celebrate the joy of the Father and sinners coming to faith, we are in need of God's checking to bring us back into the reality of the mission he's called us unto. The good news, friends, is this, that Jesus is the better and the truer older brother. That Jesus loves the Father shared in the concern of the Father and desires to celebrate the joy of the Father in bringing the lost sons and daughters back into the, fo- into the fold. If Jesus had no concern for the lost, we would have no hope of God in the world. If Jesus did not love the Father, he would not have bent himself to his will, suffered and died on the cross. If he did not share in the concern of the Father for the one, he would have not spent his time with tax collectors and Sinners, but rather with the religious elite of the day. He wouldn't have been crucified. There would have been no atonement. And we would have no salvation. But Jesus is the better older brother. Jesus is the one who would have left the, the, the farm and the field where his father was and actually gone and brought the younger brother home. He's the one who was sent to rescue, to save, to redeem. He's the one who celebrates in the return of a son or daughter, those who are lost and is found. He would have been the one to give him his robe. He would have been the one to give him the fattened calf. In fact, we see in the gospel that's just what he does. That Jesus doesn't wait for the sinner to return, but goes and finds the sinner himself. 
He does not wait until the sinner returns in order to give the robe or to celebrate, but actually gives the robe of his own righteousness through his death and his resurrection to him. He sacrifices himself and celebrates the joy of knowing and being known by God because of the work of the elder brother. Prince Jesus is this better older brother. And so the gospel we see in all these parables demonstrates God's heart for the one. So when we think about the challenge, about who you will pray for, how you'll engage with those in your life, consider how Jesus himself was the one that came to you. And how Jesus, and through the Spirit, has worked in the lives of certain individuals to bring you to faith instrumentally. We're praying for and looking for those who are lost to be found. And God has equipped us with the gospel and the power of his spirit, has placed us in these categories, in these contexts, in these situations in which we can do so. So friends, the question we'll end is, who is your one? As God has revealed his heart for the one in your life through the gospel, how will you go and commend the gospel and God's heart for the one to your neighbors, to your community? to your co-worker, classmates, friends, whatever it may be? Would you join in the mission of God to pray for regularly and to engage with spiritually those who are lost so that we can celebrate together as a church with God, with the angels, those who were once dead being made alive, those who were lost being found? Let's pray for that. Lord, we're thankful, God, that you sent Christ into the world to redeem sinners. We are thankful that there was one in our life that pointed the way to the cross. Maybe it was a preacher. Maybe it was a well-crafted, articulate sermon or message or article or book. Maybe it was the words of a friend Maybe it was the gnawing and annoying proclamation of the gospel from a coworker. Maybe it was something we overheard in a coffee shop. But there was somebody faithful enough to share the gospel. Lord, may we be that person in another person's life. As we think about who you've placed in our lives that we may be faithful to share and commend the gospel to. Would you allow us to be diligent in our prayer? to feel the sense of urgency that they would be found, to prioritize that in our own lives and to do it personally, that we wouldn't relegate that work to the church or to others, but we would take on the mission of God as it has been given to us, each one of us. And Father, we are not expecting uh, to be perfect and superstar evangelists. We're not expecting to, to be able to share the gospel and see conversion right away, but we are trusting that you are going to use this church and us particularly and the lives of another person to move them closer to yourself through the teaching and the preaching of the gospel, the, sh- the sharing and the loving, the service that the gospel demonstrates to others, and that as you work in their heart, that you also use us to bring them to yourself. Lord, you can do this alone. Salvation is of the Lord. And yet you have given us the mission as you have given Christ to seek and save the lost, to bring the hope and the healing of the cross to others. 
Father, help us to do this faithfully. We ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.